Amen. Amen. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and it's a day when we reflect and remember all of those that have served us in the military, those who've, who've died, given their lives, and we just want to take a moment of silence and remember their sacrifice. If you're serving us in that capacity, we want to thank you and bless you, protect you, and uh, declare protection over you. So let's just take a moment of silence and, and remember them. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I trust that everybody has a safe Memorial Day weekend. Didn't warm up very much for us, uh, but I know a lot are out camping. And uh, so you come back and watch this maybe tomorrow. But we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to meet you in his word um, as we consider together what he's saying to us in this hour. The year was January, or the day was January 1st, 1739. It was in London, and John Wesley records this in his journal. To go back a step, I just want to remind you that John Wesley was part of the, the revivalists and awakening that happened in, the first, uh, in the first, what we call the First Great Awakening. And he had been with Moravians, and he had seen their peace in the midst of difficult times. And he couldn't understand how they could be so confident of their salvation. And even though he was a minister, he was still confident in his works to try to get him to heaven rather than salvation by grace. And as he was with the Moravians, he got captured by the love of God. And uh, in that place, he realized it's by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And he became a new man. And he started leaning in that this revelation would come across London and England and even into the Americas. And, and so this particular prayer meeting happened um, on New Year's Day. At 3 o'clock in the morning, they were praying through the night, inviting God to bring the awakening power of God into their country in England and beyond. And the power of God crashed into the room. There were 60 of them. John and Charles Wesley, as well as George Whitfield, was in that room. And the power of God came so strong and so powerfully, they ended up on the floor, weeping for God, before God, crying out and thanking God for his mercy and agreeing for God's to move on the earth in that way. God used that outpouring to launch a, the Great Awakening, who actually reformed the nature of the church of Jesus Christ in that era. And hundreds of thousands of people were ushered in to the kingdom of God. I've been in that prayer uh, myself with many others in the nation for the last three or four years. America needs another great awakening. America needs a turning back to God. Our moral depravity will not be changed by laws and edicts that come from D.C. Our moral depravity is going to come by a move of God, revealing Jesus Christ through his people. And I'm in this place and been crying out to God, God, turn this nation back to God. And I know many of you have been with me in that prayer. I have turned to Romans 8:28 many times in this season because God is excellent of turning what the enemy means for bad and, and turning it for our good. And so Romans 8:28 is that promise that we find comfort in during difficult times and, and, and encouragement. And that verse says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to to his mercies or called to his purposes. And, I, and I've thought about this quite a bit during the season because the promise is not to everybody. 
The promise is only to those who have determined to stay in the love of God and to stay consecrated to his purposes. I told our staff on Tuesday or Wednesday as we were talking about coming back and gathering here, and I'm so thankful we get to. I'm so looking forward to seeing your face and actually worshiping the King of Kings. Be honest with you, the worship team's doing a great job here online, but it's tough. I mean, it's tough because there's just a few of us in the room, and, uh, and there's not that synergy of people uh, joyfully worshiping the Lord, and we're looking forward to that. But I had, I had to say something really honest. I'm not looking forward to doing church the same. I, I'm not looking forward to going back to normal. I, I have a sense that the Lord isn't wanting us to go back to the way we were. I have a sense the Lord is wanting something to happen inside of our hearts and our relationship with him. That is, the church is about 24-7 and that we are his representatives on the earth in this hour all day long, all week long. And I, I feel like the Lord wants to release a fresh power, a fresh anointing, a, an awakening in our hearts because I believe the church has got to come out of this season with a new sense of purpose. A renewed sense of his presence and his power. And that's what I'm longing for. But we have to stay in the love of God. And we have to consecrate our lives to his purposes in this hour. We've been through a, a very extraordinary time. The Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar is lined up perfectly. So Passover happened the same day in both calendars this year. Easter, the day we res celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Same day, a calendar. Pentecost, which is next Sunday, same day on the calendar. And we went through an extraordinary Passover season because really we understood a little bit of what it was like that first group of Jews in Egypt that huddled in their houses while the, the plague of death went over their house. They huddled together in their houses. And we as well, during the Passover, we've been in this place where we've huddled in our houses looking forward to the coronavirus passing over us. I believe God has an extraordinary plan for the church in this hour. I believe he wants Pentecost to be a season of a fresh awakening. And I want to talk a little bit about how we get to that place where we're available for the power of God to come upon us. We know in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord invited his people to respond to his resurrection by waiting in Jerusalem. They didn't know how long they were going to wait. But the Lord says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, for when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. If you're out there, say witnesses. In Judea, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Here's what I want you to notice. Jesus' emphasis was not on the Holy Spirit. It was on power. The Holy Spirit had already been given to them in the upper room in John chapter 20 when he showed up there and says he released and breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he spent 40 days showing him that he's resurrected, teaching them about the kingdom. But he says, you're not ready until you get the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Brenda and I have been in the book of Acts, and 
just studying the book of Acts in the early church, and we just might have been reawakened, really, to the miraculous activity of God and, and how the early church walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not were they just doing signs and miracles, but they had such a deep conviction that people without Christ would die eternally in a place of damnation. And they were willing to give their lives that other people would know the truth about Christ and be born again. We've been stepped into this deep dive of what does it mean to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. And we have to walk in the ways of Christ to be a follower of Christ. And one of the ways of Christ is to be empowered by God. We know Acts 10, 38, the Apostle Paul is actually describing what the people of that time experienced. He says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God, listen, listen to this phrase, for God was with him. Now, a good friend of mine, Bill Johnson, has gotten a lot of trouble from many in the church because he's emphasized this idea that Jesus Christ put aside the privilege of being God while he walked on the earth. He was still fully God. He went to the cross as fully God. But he put aside the privileges to demonstrate what it means to walk in humanity, fully surrendered to the will of the Father, and fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. You guys, we were never, God never planned for you and I to have a theology of the power of God or the Holy Spirit or do the works of God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe there is a need right now for an outpouring of power upon our lives, that we have such a deep conviction, we have such boldness, such expression, and that's really what I have on my heart to talk about. And How do we get there? How do we posture ourselves, even this week as we head toward Pentecost, but actually every day of our lives. How do we posture? I think last week we started in a series in Romans chapter 12, and I want to read. I'm only going to stay in one verse and really going to dive into one idea. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Carla started this series last week, and she pointed out that the Paul, when he says, by the mercies of God, he's pointing to all the doctrines he talked about in the first 11 chapters. Just a, a, a truth or some uh, trivia here. In the first 11 chapters, Paul only gives 12 imperative commands. In the chapter 12 alone, he's applying all the truth that he's taught the Roman Christians, and he gives 12 imperative commands that we're going to be covering in the next weeks to come. But these commands are not possible unless we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he is getting us postured actually for the God of heaven to meet his people on the earth, that we would walk in his power as we try to fulfill all that he has for our lives. He appeals to the mercies of God. And let's, let's just talk about that because this is the, the sense that I have is we have to be restored to the joy of our salvation. 
that joy of salvation has to come back on us. Like we are so excited that we're born again. We're so excited about eternity. We are eagerly looking for the return of the Lord because he is our first love. He is the one that we're after. And so we find here the mercies of God. The mercy actually means because of God's compassion, he had pity on us. It's hard for humans to believe that we need the pity of God. But the idea of mercy is the idea of he doesn't give to us what we deserve. And in Romans, he very clearly points out that we all have fallen short. We've all sinned. But the beauty of it, he says, though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift. It's not something like John Wesley discovered. I can't earn the salvation of God. It's a free gift through faith. Actually, Ephesians chapter 2 says something else about us. The Apostle Paul there says, by nature, we were children of wrath, but God. But God and his mercy, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love towards us. And that while, not after we got cleaned up, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This, these mercies of God need to stir us every day in how we live our life. And then we land on Romans 8, chapter 1. There is another great therefore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, come on. Somebody got to say hallelujah. There's no condemnation for the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and of death. And so we have this privilege now of never, ever, 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 ever being subjects of God's wrath. Ever again. We will be disciplined if we go out of his ways but we never will face punishment because all of God's wrath was satisfied in the sacrifice of his son. This is a big deal because if you think God is still trying to punish us when we do wrong things, you don't understand the grace of God. He punished Jesus for our sake so we could be free. In Romans chapter 8, he, he tells us, since God is for you. Who can be against you? We got that blessing song going on. God is for you. He's for you. He's for you. He's for you. Huge, huge revelation. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. So the things that God has done for us, Paul says there's only one reasonable response. If I can, Brenda, I'd like to go back to the Philippians or the, the one version of Romans chapter 1. I, I went over it too fast. Brenda's back there doing the PowerPoint for me, so um, so thankful for her. The Phillips version says it like this. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, in other words, we've got to be motivated, we've got to be moved every day. I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship. Notice the spiritual worship. The word there is logikas which we get the word logical from. Spiritual is better translated the logical response of worship. To give him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Give him your bodies. Give him your bodies. Well, I thought, I thought it was about our heart. I thought it was all about the inside of us. 
it is all about the inside of us. But then it's supposed to affect all the outside of us. Give him your bodies. Bodies in America is a big business. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent by Americans on our bodies. We, we tan. We exercise. We go to gyms. We surgically improve our bodies. We dress our bodies. We photograph our bodies. We feed our bodies. We medicate our bodies. We spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on our bodies. And it's not as though we're like to present our bodies like, like, here's my body, Lord. And he goes, wow, you improved on what I did. That's not the idea at all. No, the idea is God designed our bodies to express his message. People have to see it in our lives. They have to hear it in our words. They have to experience it in our mercy. God doesn't care. I'm just not saying anything wrong with those other things that we do with our bodies. Um, but it's not the priority. The priority is to surrender our bodies and present it to God. He doesn't care how muscular our body is. He cares how merciful our body is. Our, our bodies were not created necessarily to model fashion. Our bodies are created to model the good news, the message of Jesus. When we give him our bodies, we're giving him our eyes, what we look at, our hands, what we do, our ears, what we listen to, our mouth, what we say. We're giving him our days, our hours, our vocations. It doesn't matter if you're a plumber or if you're a doctor, if you're a dentist or you're a custodian, if you're a teacher or if you're a housewife. How you parent, how you spouse or love your spouse, all is to bring the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. I know most of you know it by heart. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that you, that you have from God? You are not... You are not your own. See, there's this place where there's been a redeeming work of God, like he bought us. He purchased us. And so our response to his mercies and all that he's done is to say, here's my body, Lord. Here's my body. Your body, the reason you have your body after you give your life to Christ, the reason you still have your body is so that you can display the beauty of Christ. That's why you're on the earth. That's why you have your life, your breath, your being, is to display the beauty of Christ. Now, what is the beauty of Christ? Well, look at Isaiah 53. I just talk about the beauty of Christ here. It's not in the natural, but it's in his expression. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. And like one who would, men would hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. The beauty of Christ is in his sacrificial love. The beauty of Christ is in his, his mercy and his extravagant giving 
And now we have bodies the Holy Spirit wants to empower to walk in that expression. That the people see the gospel and hear the gospel from people who are laid down lovers of Jesus Christ, as Heidi Baker would say. This pandemic season has been a testing season for all of us. And we don't really know what the future holds for America, uh, for Alaska, uh, for the planet. There's just a lot of uncertainty out there. And so the question is, like, what do we do with, with this threatening of things like our civil rights or our religious rights? And we've been raised in America. We've had a lot of freedoms where many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world haven't. And because we've had our freedom, we have had the prosperity to actually express the good news in many ways to mission, through missions around the world. And so it's not like that's not a, bad, a good thing. It is a good thing. And, and there's a voice that rises up about protecting our religious liberties and, and our civil liberties. And I'm not against that. But I think there's something more important that God is asking for the church. I believe that he is asking for us to actually live as though this is not our home. I believe we've become so comfortable in America that this very much is our home. And the Lord says, no, it's not your home. You're strangers and aliens, Peter would say. You're of another world. Jesus, as he was being questioned by Pilate about him being a king, and he says, yes, I am a king, but not of this world. My kingdom is of another world. If my kingdom was this world, my servants would be fighting for me right now. And so there's this place, follower of Jesus, where your hope, your dreams, your ambitions is more about eternity than the, the temporal. In other words, the decision the Lord is asking when you present your bodies is saying you're willing to forsake temporal gain for eternal impact. This is the way of Jesus. He forsook temporal gain for eternal impact. And this is what the Lord is asking for us. When we present our bodies, we are laying down our lives. He's looking for living sacrifices. That means our whole life is laid down. I believe the Lord wants to empower the church with the fresh power of the Holy Spirit. But I think you and I have to do some real clear reconsidering why we're on the earth in this hour. Are we here as ministers of reconciliation? Is that our number one goal? Because that's what he's called us, is ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says it a little bit different in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. I, I could spend more time about departing from sin, but honestly, I believe when you decide to impart yourself or give yourself to Jesus Christ, sin has less a temptation upon you because you're more concerned every day about bringing glory and honor to him. Not going to spend a lot of time there, but listen to what he says. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that they may... Because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We lost a saint who lived his life to testify of Jesus. He was an apologist, Rabbi Zacharias this week, a man that I loved listening to. I, whenever I was questioning things about my faith, I often would dive into what is Rabbi 
uh, Zacharias say he was quite an apologist, and I love, love hearing him. And I listened to a couple of his sermons this week just to remind myself of the great orator, but also just consecrated follower of Jesus he was. And one of his quotes I have here is Zacharias says, ultimately the decision to submit to our Heavenly Father or not is our choice. Because as he explains, he will not violate our wills. God is very concerned with our freedom. That sacred gift of my freedom is given to me by God. Who gives us our freedom? It's not the government. Jesus Christ gives us our freedom. And regardless of what the government is, we have the freedom to obey God, serve God, and reveal God in this hour. C.S. Lewis is one of the quotes the rabbi referred to in that particular sermon. He says, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who bend their knee to God and say to him, your will be done. Or those who refuse to bend their knee to God and God says to them, okay, your will be done. Zacharias uses this quote to make the point that God will let us make our own choices, even if our own choices lead us to hell. This is the moment, I think. This is a reset moment for the church. I, I don't want to go back to normal. I honestly don't want to do church. I want to be the church. I want to be the church. I want to be empowered by God. I've experienced enough of the power of God on mission trips that I know there's a whole bunch more available to the church than what we're experiencing in America. And if you're like me, there's a hunger. Oh, God. When I read the book of Acts, I say, oh, God. Can we be like that? I know it's his desire to release that same thing on the church. But you have to be realize, realize it's a laid down position for the believer. It's a, the word is, will you be my witnesses? The word there translated is martyrs. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to have to die physically for our faith. But it has to mean we're willing to. We're willing to suffer persecution. We're willing to suffer for the gospel. And this Holy Spirit that comes upon us in power, he brings such conviction to our hearts that knowing the fear of God, we persuade men, you don't want to leave this life without Jesus Christ. And with tears, we sow the word of God that we might reap with joy. May the compassion and the pity of God come upon our lives right now for those who don't know Jesus, that we change the way we do church. And that's not Sundays. That's seven days a week, 24-7. I have a longing in my heart that this Pentecost that's coming up, that there would be a change in our lives, that the power of God will be expressed by the Holy Spirit, that we will walk in boldness like never, ever before, because the time is urgent, and people are dying without Christ all around us. And I believe with all my heart that the power needs to, or the church needs to demonstrate the gospel, not just say the gospel. And so I invite you to, like the Apostle Paul, to bend your knees before the Lord. And not just one day, every day. And maybe three times a day. I've been thinking about this all week long as we move into Pentecost. I think three times a day I'm going to go to my knees and lay out my hands and say, Jesus, I give you my body 
as a holy, set apart, that means living sacrifice. And you're pleased with that. That's what worship really is all about. That's what worshipers are, is people that have laid down their lives for the purpose of Jesus to be glorified and seen in their lives. And so I'm, I'm going to sing a chorus. Are you guys coming back to do a song? Yeah? But if I'm going to do this with me as old chorus. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I just want to invite you, as we move this week towards Pentecost on Sunday, the three times a day you would consider kneeling on, your, on the floor, bowing your head, and say, Lord, here is a body that you can possess. Here is a body that you can empower. I have one reason for life, and that is to glorify you. And no matter what I do, I want Jesus to be known through me. I've got, I believe we are going to have a new normal, and it's going to be awesome. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Let's go into worship. We'll finish up that way.